What good is the church? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think this is a very important question. I'm lucky enough to be part of a church that believes that the church is meant to be a blessing to her neighbors and to the world. We really want to be that kind of church. We're just followers of Jesus who are surprised by his grace and his love for us. So it's our desire to be instruments of that grace and love as we go about our everyday lives. This is our first season of our podcast. It's designed for our church, but we hope it'll be a blessing to others as well. This series of messages lays out the foundations of our sense of where God is leading us as we enter into a new season of ministry. My name's Chad Erb. I'm the senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Kingwood. Welcome to the first season of our podcast. It's titled Gathered and Sent. Okay, so Beth, if I heard you right, Jesus said, go everywhere and do everything. Save all the people. Just go do it. It's what I've been saying the past few weeks too, so I'm not putting that on you, but I think it helps us with a question. Oh my gosh, that's overwhelming, (laughs) right? Where do we start? We're supposed to go everywhere and save everyone. Where do we start? Well, let's start here. Uh, This is the great commandment. Uh, I, I believe that this is the purpose statement for our faith. Let's all say it together. You know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I was talking to a friend the other day. Uh, He's a dear friend, uh, a mentor. Um, He predates me by about 50 years, uh, but a sweet man who I'm getting to know really well. Um, He was telling me uh, that he gets hundreds of requests for donations every week. Uh, He gets them from political parties, from hospitals, ministries, just anybody that wants some cash, he's on their list. Now, he told me, uh, I knew this, but, you know, his sweet wife uh, passed away a few years ago. Um, She was just one of the sweetest humans that's ever lived. Uh, She was like a garden full of the fruit of the Spirit, and her sweet, generous heart led her to give and to give often. Uh, So my friend has this dilemma. Uh, He doesn't have that sweet of a heart, (laughs) so... I'm just kidding. (laughs) But now that his sweet wife is with Jesus, what does he do, right? I mean, does he just continue to support everything that comes his way? I'm sure most of those causes are good. They probably do wonderful kingdom work, but I mean, he just can't support them all. He can't give everything to everyone. He can't do everything. So how does he focus his resources? How does he focus his time on the things that matter? Where does he put his energy How does he know what God is calling him to be a part of? And I told him that that's exactly the dilemma that I think that the church finds herself in in our culture. There are so many things that we can do. There are churches all around doing great things. There are great programs that would be good for us, good for the kingdom. There are amazing books that we can study. There's great small group curriculum being made every day. There are amazing mission trips. There are service organizations that are doing amazing work all around the world. There's no lack of good. There's no lack of great things that we can be doing. But we can't do everything. So we have to ask a question. Are we just going to look at what everybody around us is doing and just see if we can keep up? Or are we going to take the time to discern who are we What are the gifts and resources that God has given us? Who has God called together to be in this church at this time? And then ask, why? 
And what specific things might he have in store for us? How do we take what honestly is a really simple faith, y'all? Love God, love others, and then make a bunch of more people that will do the same thing, right? It's a very simple faith. How do we take that and then create ministries, strategy? How do we know what we're supposed to do day by day? So I think we've been setting this up over the past few weeks. Uh, We've explained uh, in worship that as a session, we've discerned this call that we are simultaneously to be two churches, that we are to be a gathered church and a sent church at the same time, that we're to gather together as a church to equip one another through worship, through discipleship, and then as the church individually and together sent out into the world on mission, every one of us missionaries on mission. So today will be a little different. Normally I would just teach through one passage, uh, but today I want to show you five passages I want to show you five images and then share with you the five values that the session has discerned will guide us into the next season of ministry. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to teach five passages. I just want to read them to you and then share with you the value uh, that goes along with it. And to help us understand these values, to help us identify them and help them kind of sink in, we've developed this series of images, these icons, and it's our hope that these will help everybody from the smallest to the oldest here at the church, understand what we are about and what we are trying to do. You'll begin to see these images integrated into everything that we do. So I want you to know today it's gonna be a lot, but it's just meant to be an introduction. We're gonna take a break from this vision and direction series. We'll take a break for Lent. And then after Easter, we'll come back and we'll dig into each of these five values deeper. Does it make sense? Are you all on board? All right, let me pray and we'll get into it. Father God, I pray that you would be present with us as your word and gospel are proclaimed maybe in a different way than we're used to. Uh, But today, I hope, in the most practical of ways, in a way that not just gives us this abstract what we are supposed to be doing, but helps us to understand specifically who we are, who you have called us to be, and how we can be a blessed people who will bless people. So be present with us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So first off, we believe that we are called to be obedient to the great commandment. And in order to be obedient to that commandment, we are called to be a church of disciple-making disciples. And that is our first, and it's the most important value. This is everything that we are about. It's the great commission of Jesus. It's his directive to those of us that have accepted his call to follow him. If the great commandment is the reason we exist, if that's our purpose statement, then the great commission is our mission statement. So let me read part of it from Matthew 28. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now we preached on this passage two weeks ago. Jesus invites every person to be his disciple. It's an invitation, a gracious invitation to trust him, to follow him, and to become like him. And then each disciple is called to go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I could get stuck forever. You see the pattern, right? Now we believe that this is how we will grow. That we won't grow because we have the best programming. We won't grow because we have fancy marketing. 
We will grow if we are making disciples. And not only here at First Pros Kingwood, this is how the Christian faith will grow and become relevant again. There's an author and professor named Dallas Willard uh, who I love. Uh, he says this. He says, non-discipleship is the elephant in the church. It's not the many moral failures, financial abuses, or amazing similarities between Christians and non-Christians. These are only the effects of the underlying problem the problem of non-discipleship. Willard was adamant about discipleship in the church. He loved the church, but he was a critic of the church because of its lack of commitment to discipleship and making disciples. So he coined a term that I love. It's a little harsh. Some of you may have heard me use it before, but he called our modern cultural faith, he called it vampire Christianity. And what he means by that is that our cultural Christianity is just in it for the blood. Just in case there is actually a heaven and a hell, we want that blood just to make sure that we're safe from that eternal fire and damnation. Others have called it fire insurance. Vampire Christianity believes that discipleship then is optional. It's like the upgrade package. It's a next step in faith, but it's only meant for those who are the most serious and most committed. He would say that vampire Christians will meet sometimes once a week, but they'll meet, they'll give thanks, they'll pay their respects to the one who hung on the cross to give us the blood, but then they go about their regular lives as if this life has nothing to do with the next. And to be honest with you, I I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that religion. I personally don't want any part of a church that doesn't want Jesus. Not only his blood for eternity, for which I'm grateful and thankful, but here and now. We want him here and now. See, I believe vampire Christianity is one of the great heresies of our time. But we are reformers. We're reformed. And that means that when we recognize a heresy, we do something about it. So recommitting ourselves to discipleship and to making disciples, that is how we will reform what has been broken. Discipleship is about so much more than just fire insurance. A disciple of Jesus is a person who understands the world with the mind of Jesus, who can see the world not only with the eyes but with the heart of Jesus, who speaks to the world the beautiful words of Jesus and responds to the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. So we believe that in order for us as a church and as individuals to be obedient to the great commandment, we are called to be disciple-making disciples. And we are called to make disciples who are marked by certain things. And one of those is that they are biblically literate. This is one of the marks of the disciple and it's our next value. Let me read you this from 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In order to be a disciple-making disciple, we have to know the Bible. We have to know the biblical narrative and its application to our daily lives. God's word, we believe, is the first and final authority in all areas of faith and life. We believe scripture is the inspired word of God. It's the way we are introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. It's the truth for us about this life and the next. 
And I really look forward to a day, I long for a day when Christians know more about the Bible than atheists do. Now, when I think about the Bible, a lot of times people worry about this idea of authority. And I've told you before, I'm not somebody who's a huge fan of authority. You can ask my wife or Bob Covington or any other adult who's ever been an authority over me. Not a huge fan, but Christ is changing me. (laughs) Think about it. How many things in the world do we give authority to? How many things in the world control us each day, influence the decisions we make? You see, I like to think that I'm really free, but the truth is we're not. We're constantly making obedient decisions. We're obedient to the laws of our country. For those of us who are working, we're obedient to our bosses. We're obedient to our bosses because we need to be obedient to our bills. We're obedient to our spouse, usually. We're obedient to our politics. We're obedient to social norms. And I'm not saying that any of this is bad. We should be. We should submit and be led in different areas of our lives. These obediences, this is the only way a society can function. It's the only way that we can live together well. The problem is, what has the ultimate authority over us? To what do I give my ultimate allegiance? What is the one thing that will override all the other authorities of this world? Because the truth is, all the authorities of this world at some point are going to be wrong. Even the best of them. So when my country is wrong, when my boss is wrong, when my society is wrong, in the very rare times that my spouse is wrong, (laughs) when I said that at the 935 service, my daughter was sitting next to my wife and she was like, whoa, (laughs) he's playing with fire. (laughs) But when everything around us is wrong, how do we know what's right? How How do we know? We know the simple answer, Jesus is right, but... How do we know what he says? How do we know what he's telling us to do? How can we understand his will for our lives if we don't know his word? You see, I think the reason our Christian culture has allowed itself to devolve into vampire Christianity is because we simply don't know the Bible. So we believe that a disciple is somebody who is becoming day by day more and more biblically literate. Somebody who's learning how to not only read the words on the page, but is learning to understand what they're reading. Someone who's learning to tell the difference between narrative and parable, between prophecy and poetry. Someone who's becoming literate so that they can understand what they're reading and then explain it to others. Now listen, before you stress out about this, you need to know discipleship, biblical literacy, all of our values, these are a work in process. (laughs) They're lifelong projects. The starting point for each of these is exactly where you are right now. The goal is to simply move one step closer to literacy, day by day, year after year. Our job as a church is to help give you some opportunities to engage in that. This summer, we're hoping to put together a program just to help you read scripture together. Not a Bible study, not a lesson, there's no leader, no knowledge of scripture required. You just read some passages throughout the week, then you meet once a week for dinner, and as a group, you talk about four simple questions. Very easy. Just practice reading the Bible together. So we believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples who are biblically literate. And we also believe that we are to be spiritually formed. And that's another mark of a disciple, and it's our third value. Let me read you this from Romans 12. If you were here last week, you are familiar with this. If you weren't here last week, shame on you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. 
says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Becoming like Jesus is a whole person, whole life project. And we believe that the Holy Spirit in us transforms us from the inside out, changes who we are and how we live in the world, creates us into a people who live in the world today in anticipation of the world that we know is to come. It is through the Holy Spirit that we will be changed and transformed. If biblical literacy is about understanding the world with the mind of Jesus, spiritual formation is about seeing the world with the eyes and the heart of Jesus. But that requires a change at the soul level because the truth is the world has already conformed us. And because we have already been conformed, the only way to see the world through the eyes and heart of Jesus is for the Holy Spirit to make that happen. I know, look at your own life, I know that I am just simply different than I was 20 years ago. I am different than I was 10 years ago. I'm different than I was 10 days ago. And it's not because of some self-help book or because I went on a diet. The Holy Spirit within us is constantly shaping us. It's molding us. Scripture speaks of humans as a lump of clay that's lovingly being formed in a potter's hand. Now, some might argue that the Christian life is about strict obedience to a set of rules or principles. And I agree, as long as those rules and principles begin with the great commandment and the great commission. Because the truth is, of the over 600 laws in Scripture, Scripture itself tells us that on our own, we're incapable of being obedient to them all. We're incapable of being like Christ. Yet, we are called to follow him and to become like him. And that work can only happen because of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, I think this is actually one of the areas of our faith where we actually can show some proof because we have evidence that this transformation is happening within us. You've heard the fruit of the Spirit listed here many times in the past few weeks, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We're given those markers to recognize when the Spirit is changing us, when my tendency toward anger and worry turns into peace and patience. Y'all, that's not me. That's not something I did. That's the Spirit working in me shaping me and molding me. Each month, our staff meets uh, for chapel, and Sabrina has been leading us in these different spiritual practices or disciplines like rest and prayer. Over time, we'll share those practices with you so that together we can learn how to ground ourselves in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we believe that we're called to be disciple-making disciples who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, and also mission-focused. And this is the next mark of a disciple, and it's our fourth value. So I want to read you two passages with this one. The first from Genesis 22. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. And then also from Matthew 25. Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. 
I remember in seminary, um, I heard this quote and none of the professors, I don't know that anybody really knows who first said this, uh, but the quote was this, that the church is the only institution on the planet that doesn't only exist for the benefit of its members. The church is the only institution on the planet that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Its members are called together to become a blessed people who bless people. Now, a country club, a country club exists to entertain and host its paying customers. They're consumers of a product and the club produces the product. And that's fine. I have no issues with country club. Golf is awesome. And I love the lunch. It's great. But the church is not a country club. It's not. It can't be. If you want another institutional analogy, a more accurate one, the church is a hospital. The church is a hospital because we are all broken people who are being healed and being brought to life by Jesus. And if that's happening in us, then how can we not offer that service to others? Every person who ever walks through any door in this building is a broken person. A sinner fallen short of the glory of God. A person who's struggling, a person who is in need. No matter where they're from, no matter what they look like, no matter what they do for a living. And when a group of people come together and begin to understand that we are all broken, that we are all the same, then there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. There is only love and hope of actual healing. That's when the church becomes a place that's not selling a product for people to consume. It becomes a place where broken people can find care, compassion, concern, hope, and love. These are the things that every human desperately needs. That's our product. Now, this has always been a church that understands mission. What it means to serve others. Serving in our community, in our city, in our nation, and around the world. The work that this church has done for years in Lima, Peru, has literally changed and saved lives. It's transformed communities. It's given hope and healing to more people than we can track. This has always been a real strength of this church and that will absolutely continue to be a vital part of who we are in the future. But in addition to that, as we grow, we need to be reminded that there is mission also here within the walls of this church. Mission to one another and to whoever walks in. There's mission in our homes, in our schools, at work. We are always on mission everywhere we are. That's what it means to be mission-focused. That with God's help, we can learn to see through his eyes where we are, who we happen to be with, and at any particular moment, we can be made aware of what resources and gifts we might have that can respond to a need that might come up. Mission-focused disciples serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. And that starts with one another here in this room and extends to the ends of the earth. So we are called to be a disciple-making disciples, a people who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and finally, a people who are gospel-fluent. This is another mark of a disciple. It's our fifth value. And to be honest with you, for this one, we really need to read the entire book of Acts. So if you'll grab your Bibles and get comfortable. (laughs) When you go home today, for real, I really encourage you, go read Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four. But for now, I'll just read you this. It also comes from Romans 12, and this will sound very familiar uh, to those of you who have been here for a while. 
It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. When you read that, do you notice that these aren't laws? This just describes a way of life. Now, let me explain this gospel fluency to you. This uh, was new language for us as a session too, and it took us some time to understand it. Uh, But disciples of Jesus are a people who are fluent in the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the coming kingdom of God. And that gospel is most clearly seen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the question is, how do we put that good news on display for the world to see? And the truth is, it's done not only by what we say, but it's done in the way that we live. We'll spend more time unpacking this after Easter. Again, I know this is a new idea. But for today, I think the best way to explain gospel fluency is to simply think about language. When I have the opportunity to go to mission trips on Latin America, I can understand most of the things that people say to me by the end of the week. (laughs) The first couple days are rough. But by the end of the day, I pretty much understand most of what I hear. But I can't speak the language to save my life. I've taken the classes I've been there many times, but I can't speak it. I'll try, but it's slow and it's awkward. Now, the reason it takes me time to understand what I'm hearing, the reason I'm slow and awkward when I try to speak the foreign language, it's because I don't think in that language. I think in English. When I hear a foreign language, even one that I've studied, I think in English first, and then I start doing the process, right? Okay, that word means this word, and their grammar works this way, and our grammar works that way. That is not ideal. That's slow. That's not real communication. That is not fluency. Somebody who is fluent in a language thinks in that language. And they not only think in that language, but they learn to understand the culture. They know the environments. They're able to easily adapt when they come across a different dialect, or when they're faced with a new accent or when somebody happens to speak really fast. You see, fluency is the key to clearly understanding one another and to communicating a language or a worldview to others. So a gospel-fluent person thinks gospel first. The good news of the coming kingdom of God that is most beautifully expressed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that is the filter through which we understand everything. We think gospel first. Not politics first, not philosophy first, not some other adopted or adapted worldview. But here's the twist. A gospel-fluent person not only knows what to say and how to say it, a gospel-fluent person is somebody who's learning how to communicate God's truth, how to be a blessing to others, simply by the way they live in the world. They don't have to think about it, they don't have to translate it, they don't have to say, what would Jesus do? They have become so ingrained with scripture, with the heart of Christ, with the eyes, the mind of Christ, that they just live and the gospel pours out of them. You might be familiar with these words from St. Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. A gospel-fluent person can not only recite scripture, can not only make the case for Christ, But a gospel-fluent person exhibits the fruit of the Spirit as they interact with the world around them. 
gospel-fluent disciples proclaim the beautiful words of Jesus to the world, to their neighbors, and sometimes they do it using words. You see, the truth is my Christian faith should be a blessing to my neighbors, no matter what they believe. Christ in me should be a blessing to a Muslim neighbor, to an atheist neighbor, to a Hindu neighbor, whoever they are. And if Christ in me is being proclaimed to them, that's probably the best way they will come to be introduced to who he is so they can then be brought to the word to understand fully and completely who Christ is and who Christ says they are. We are meant to be a blessing to our neighbors no matter who they are, no matter what they believe. If Christ is living through us, if we understand the world through the perspective of Jesus first. So those are the five values that our session has adopted to move us forward into this next season of ministry. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples, a people who are biblically literate, who are spiritually formed, who are mission-focused, and gospel fluent. We really believe that these values will help us determine what we are called to do, how we're called to live together as a family, how we're called to serve God, each other, and serve the world. And I want you to know these passages that I've selected, they're just selections. They're not the only test case for each of these values. As a session, we sat down around the book of Ephesians. And we said, look at this entire book and we're gonna highlight every section that speaks to one of these values. And we highlighted every word of the entire book. We've discerned and I truly believe that these values are found in scripture from cover to cover. And they're the right place for us to start. This is the place we start over time. We'll put real tangible strategies. We'll put goals and measures to all this. But until then, these serve as our guardrails. They're the foundation of the path that we'll travel together as we strive to be the church and the people God's calling us to be. So let me just say this in closing. Um, After all of that, I do have one question that I have every week, and it's, so what? (laughs) For today, I really want you to hear this because I want to encourage you. Don't worry. Don't stress out. None of us measure up to this. I do not measure up to this. None of us do. But the right place to start is exactly where you are right now. This is a lifelong process, but the beautiful thing is we get to do it together. We get to equip one another. We get to walk alongside one another. We get to celebrate our successes, and we get to mourn and reflect our failures. And then we pick ourselves up and try again. As a church, we just want to be as clear and as focused as we can possibly be on who God has called to this place, what are the gifts and resources that he's given us, and who is he calling us to be And what is the mission that he's laid out before us? He's already laid out the plan. We just have to be able to listen and discern what it is. Amen? Let's pray. Father, grateful, as always, that you would use people like us to do your work. So give us the courage and the strength. Make us brave. Because any time you set values, any time you set limits, it means you have to say no to some things. So help us learn how to say no. That even though they might be good things for us to do, they're not necessarily the things that we are supposed to do. So be present with us in this process. Guide us, direct us, lead us. 
And every time we get off track, call us to repentance so that we would return to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.